Hello and welcome. You are experiencing a podcast. If you've never experienced a podcast before, it's something you apply directly to your ears. However, if the symptoms don't subside, please contact your doctor immediately. This particular podcast is about board games, but sadly, no doctor can save you from that. Elaine, why don't you tell us what board games we're going to be talking about today? Today we have a lot of board games, Africa. We have The King is Dead again, uh, interestingly. Uh, Super Skill, Pinball, Forcade, Too Many Bones, Calico, Star Wars Unlock, which is our Puzzle One and Done game, and our main feature, Iwari. Wow, that is once again a lot of board games. This has become a podcast from where we talked about free board games before to where we talk about... I don't know, 27. But first, before we get into the board games, Mm -hmm. we need to talk about news. NPI news. news. Oh, wow. It's a news of of us. Uh, The news of us, yeah. What has been happening in the world? Not general world news. Of NPI. The world of NPI. Um, Not a lot has been happening in the world of NPI since the last podcast. We did put out uh, the first in our series of board games that fit in your pocket and by the time the listeners ears will have uh achieved this podcast as well well, that didn't make any sense yes it did (laughs) uh they they will probably already have seen episode two oh how exciting i know And, Uh, and this particular one is about the shut up and sit down nonsense box which is a standalone expansion to a game called monikers which is a variant on a game called the celebrity game how confusing. Uh, and the first one was on Sprawlopolis, which is a small uh, pocket game by Button Shy. A fantastic video with a fantastic well, song indeed. by Elaine. <laughs> uh, not actually by Elaine. The song no. is by Nico Case, but the, the words are altered by Elaine. The homage. To, to suit our purposes. Yes. Uh, I, I really like that song. I think you did a terrific job on it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's very kind. I tried because I know you how much you like that song. I didn't want to mess it up. The song is great, right? So yeah, if, it's if, a good if, song. if you've seen the video and you were like, oh, I like the song, but you've never heard of the original, it's uh, I Wish I Was the Moon by Nico Case. Yeah. And you should check it out. It's There's a, a good live version of it as well. Yes, somewhere on YouTube, I think. Somewhere on YouTube. Let's talk about the games we've played. As always, if you enjoy our work and what we do, you could always support us on Patreon. If it's something you would like to do, there's lots of lovely perks, like uh, we have a newsletter, we have an audio log where if you like listening to us and applying us to your ears, you can apply some more of us to your ears. Like a balm. You could get uh, one of those lovely, lovely prints of the, uh, no pun included, fourth edition artwork, which is a piece of art done by Nick Nassero, and I think it turned out quite fantastically if you'd like that on your wall. You could back our Patreon and eventually you'll get one in the mail. If people would like to back our Patreon, Efka, how do they find it? They can go to patreon.com slash no pun included. Okay, let's talk about games, Elaine. I am really excited. I'm genuinely really, really excited. What Are game you more are... excited to talk about them than play them? I I don't know. Like, I've played a lot of them. Now I want to unload the mental load of, of having all this burden of knowledge and information about board games. And I want to share it with the world. So uh-huh. let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get into do it. Do you want to talk about The King is Dead first? Because okay. we've spoken about this game before, but why are we speaking about it again? Yeah, so King is Dead was our feature review of the previous episode. We talked about it a lot because we played it a lot. But we also only ever played it with just two. 
Now, last week I had the privilege of actually playing a free player game of The King is Dead, and I will talk very long about it, but it was, it was a very different experience, and I'm not going to say worse, but different in that esoteric kind of way, where a two-player game of The King is Dead feels very obvious. It's chess match, you know, it's an abstract confrontational puzzle. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of tricks that you pick up as you play the game more and more and you realize the depth of strategy. And if you want to hear more about that, seriously, just, you know, plug in the last episode. The King is Dead is fantastic. And if you've not heard that, you should listen to that. But I will say about the free player game that what felt very, very strange was that once you obviously play a free player confrontational game, you get into that problem of the free player game, hmm. which is, you know, if someone's doing like poorly and they're or... not gonna yeah, they're right. not gonna win, but they can sort of in attack another person and therefore influence the literally outcome. king making yeah, in this yeah, case. Literally right? <laughs> king making in this case. So that sort of happened. Uh, and and one of the players was left in a position of king making. But but because once you get into the free player game, there's a lot of little weird situations that crop up mm. uh, and those situations are all addressed in the rule book in plain black and white sure. but there's there's a lot of little rules well in that case this happens in that case this happens in that case this happens and it whilst one player was trying to make decisions uh you know sort of not so much in in a king makey way even though they they were aware that their decision was going to influence the outcome mm -hmm. of the game they decided to i think play like in 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 a manner of like what 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 I do anyway, you know right. that kind of situation, and it turned out it didn't matter because we missed a little rule, and then we oh, read no, the really? rule, uh, like we found out that oh wait I win the game, you know because because of this right, so right. I won on a technicality. That feels deflating. That felt very deflating, yeah. But I will say that the free player game had more depth to it at the same time. Okay. So it was a like I said, it was a very esoteric experience because you had. I think you have to be really into The King is Dead to, to enjoy it with free players. And again, I'm saying that very fully aware that we still haven't played the four-player game, right. which is the two-versus-two-team game, right? Which we kind of should have done, but I had to do something else. Yes. So I didn't get to play. Yes. Um, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring this game more and more because we hmm. are going to cover it in a video review at some point yeah. and, and hopefully by then we'll have a breadth of experiences with all player accounts and can speak more broadly yeah more informed on it i was yeah. going to say okay. yeah 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 no more, more about like I, I i still feel like there's a lack of confidence in, mm. in, in how i feel about the king is that even though i really like the game yeah. there's all these weird things that are cropping up uh various side situations but considering how streamlined the game is I think it sticks out more because it's so smooth and so streamlined. So when there is what I guess, you know, like Wargamers call Chrome, because it mm. isn't really Chrome. It's, 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 it's Chrome is like just rules that are made up to simulate a situation. This is the second podcast you've talked about Chrome. Yeah, well, I don't know, because I've been thinking about Wargamers <laughs> a lot. Uh, but, but here it's more like, it, it feels like the sort of rules that Chrome are, but they're, right. they're not Chrome because what they address is a typical Eurogame thing where rules are made up to fix imbalances mm -hmm. in the game system mm -hmm. rather than simulate something, mm -hmm. right? So, but because the rest of the game is so smooth, those little those little sort of sticky-outy rules, they stand out a lot more. Right, right? I understand, yeah. Because mm. everything else is so smooth, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The little bumps are feel like bigger bumps. 
Exactly, right? I, I'm looking forward to playing it three-player or four-player. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to playing it again. I really like that game. So, And I'm looking forward to finding out more about it. Yeah, um, yeah, me too. I'm, I just can't wait. Can't wait to play the team game. Let's talk about something else. What are we talking about next, Elaine? Can we talk about Super Skill Pinball 4K? Because I really want to talk about Super Skill Pinball. Pinball 4K, Elaine. Okay. Do you know why I want to talk about Super Skill Pinball no. 4K? Why? Well, because here's the thing. So Super Skill Pinball 4K... It's a bit mouthful. Oh, right? oh, yeah. Tell me about it, right? Is a roll and write game. Yeah. Uh, that... But actually, you get like nice little whiteboards that you can... An erasable pen. Yes. So... Yes, it's an erasable pen it's, roll it's and write fancy, game. very fancy, yeah. Very fancy, yeah. So... It's it's a roll and write game that is thematically ty- trying to emulate pinball. Yes, mm. right. And and I first played this game on my own. I just picked up. The, I, so when you open the box, there's four different tables, mm-hmm. and by tables I mean like pinball tables with like their own sets of rules and stuff like that. So it's kind of like you get four games in one. Oh, hence four Kade. Hence four right? right? I see. Yeah. Uh, but there's a nice little booklet that says, well, if you want to play Carnival, right. which is the very first game. Which, I thought, it, like, it sounded like Cannibal. No, no, me. it's Carnival. No, I get it. But I get with it. a ball at I the end it. of it. I get it. Because there's a ball in, in pinball. pinball, right? That's why it's called Pinball. Are there pins in Pinball? Mi- mis- mystery solved. There are, yes. Are there? Yeah. What are the pins? You know, pins in Pinball. No. Now, okay, you, we're getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. If you're wondering why Elaine doesn't know what the pins in pinball are, do not ask yourself that question just yet. We'll get to it. Uh, so anyway, I, I played this on my own because there's a little booklet and says, if you want to play Carnival, here's a little quick start guide. Mm-hmm. You can just read through that, play a game. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, you know, and then I, I sort of read the rules and then they were a little confusing, a little woolly, right? But I thought, oh, this is because I'm not reading the proper rule book. It's just a quick start guide. It's fine. I sort of picked it up, figured it out, and I started playing and I thought, oh my word, this is exactly like pinball, but a roll and write game, <laughs> right? Like, it's giving me all the feelings that pinball gives me, and and it's remarkable how well it's emulating this experience. I can't wait to show this game to Elaine. Sure. So, so I even, you know, I got so excited I even played another table, like, I've mm-hmm. the rules and everything, that was like a um, cyberpunk sort of futuristic Ooh. style table, right? Uh, so I sat down and I said, Elaine, okay, so this is a roll and ride game. You know what roll and rides are. And I you, do. Yeah, right? And, and so you, you roll some dice and then you fill in this result and the ball goes there. And then, you know, if it's on a bumper, it goes up. And and I noticed this sort of like... Glaze. Glaze. <laughs> not just a glaze, but more like an expression of terror and anxiety, <laughs> uh, but also like a glaze, right? At, at the same time, it, it emulated, not emulated, combined all of those expressions into one in your face. And I thought, what's going on? You know, uh-huh. why am I, am I not making sense? And, you know, and, and then you said, I'm sorry, this is about as complicated as on Mars. And I'm like... <laughs> No, I didn't mean it's as well. I, in my brain, it was as complicated. Like you know, the the neural connections that would that my brain was trying to yeah. make with this game, like putting things in an order and make trying to make sense of what you were telling me, mm-hmm. gave me the same feeling that On Mars gave me when you explained it. And then I said to you, Elaine, have you never played pinball in your life? And I said, I don't think so. 
which means no. <laughs> I mean, I think probably I had a go at it on Microsoft Windows 95 because it was built in. Which, okay, so I, I, I w- if, if I was some sort of a, you know, purist, I'd be like, that's not pinball. But audience members might have heard that uh, one cast member here has grew up, has grown up, grew up, grown up. In the Soviet Union, not me. Where, where, where there are no pinball machines. So pinball has always been for me this sort of like almost mythical arcade game. You know, I'm not sure that we have a lot of them here. Like, because I've been to arcades, right? Mm. I've, but I think it was always a thing that my parents felt was a bit gambly. But right. like a fruit machine or something, and I'm, I so I don't think it's I ever. Not. It's not. I know. You don't I know win that. Anything, right? <laughs> I know. Just play a game. I do remember there one uh, being at the ice rink. Yes. Um, for some odd reason. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't really remember a lot of pinball machines in like seaside arcades. Yeah. Whereas I was always really sort of you know when I saw pinball in TV shows or cartoons, I was like I loved I loved arcade games so. Mm. I always really wanted to try pinball. I like arcade games. Yeah, it's been sort of this mythical thing for me for a while. And so when Windows 95 (laughs) appeared with its 3D pinball, right? (laughs) I was like, finally, I can try this thing. So I I got really good at the Windows 95 pinball table. Mm. I, I got strangely very good and... I was more into the Encarta quiz. Yeah. Like the, the game where you... Nerd. Well, all right. Okay, I'll stop there. No, don't stop. Please, please Well, continue. there were two games. There was one that was a maze. Yeah. Right? Uh, that you had to go through the maze. And then the other one was like, it was like a quiz, like an Encarta mm-hmm. quiz where you had mm-hmm. to answer questions to progress through like a castle or something. It's been, it's been a, a hot minute since I've played it, but that's my memory of it. I remember really enjoying it. Well, uh, let's let's sidetrack from Elaine's uh, childhood experiences <laughs> a little bit and, and get back to Super Skill Pinball yes. 4K, Super Skin Pinball. Super skin, super skill pinball, 4K. Super skin is where you like uh, high five everyone all the time. You don't do that anymore. Whilst, whilst pinballing. Uh, so this game, I thought, you know, my experience with it, it was like, wow, this is like pinball. And then I realized that that comes with like a blessing and a curse at yeah. the same time. Where if you like pinball, you might be really into this new roll and write game because... I, I don't know how you take a sheet of paper and some dice and translate it to, like, ADHD gratifying experience of mm. pinball, right? Where things are happening all the time. Yeah, right? You got all the input and there's lights and sounds and there's a ball bouncing, you know, in various <laughs> directions. It's great, right? Uh, anywho, uh, yeah, that can be amazing. But at the same time, if you've never played pinball, it's just... It's just, first of all, the artwork screams at you. It does. Right? I was like, like, what does this do? You're like, nothing, it's just art. What does this do? Nothing, it's just art. What does this do? <laughs> nothing, it's just art, Elaine. Yeah. Like, and, and also, I would say, have you never played pinball? Oh, wait, no, you haven't, no. right? And the way that the rules are structured and the way that the game is presented and the way that the rules are presented of the game to you is very much assuming that you are familiar with what pinball is mm. and have played pinball and that's a very western centric thing right like because I guess. pinball is a very american thing first I of guess. all and then like i i never grew up with an axe with access to a pinball machine no. i knew what pinball was but i've never experienced it so until windows 95 until windows 95 <laughs> came along right and saved me 
from my pinball-less life. But if you haven't got that pinball experience with you, it might just be a stressful time playing this game. Once I started knowing what everything meant, mm. then it wasn't stressful at all. Very quickly, why Super Skill Pinball 4K feels like pinball right yeah. there's there's a cool element there where you have like you actually have this physical ball that you mm. move around a half uh, ball a half ball <laughs> so it doesn't slide no. away but it looks like a you know pinball ball uh, but it's only a game piece in terms of keeping track of like where your ball is meant to be at any given stage and in it's the game. quite useful yeah, yeah it is useful it's annoying at first because you want to you want to let your brain bounce around mm. rather than move this ball around the board all the time. But then once once it gets really complicated, you start Particularly if you've got two balls on the go at once. Because there's multi-ball. Yeah, you can we'll get, get multi-ball. Yeah. So uh, you have this ball and uh, that ball is going to keep falling down into various zones. And each round, uh, one player is going to roll two dice and those two dice are going to have two different or maybe identical results and you're going to have to use one of those results. Mm. And you're going to hope that the zone... Uh, that you want the pinball to land on, which is hopefully the next zone down because you don't want it to skip a zone and go all the right. way down, uh, has that result that hasn't been crossed out yet. And then hopefully it also gives you some points for like bouncing into things. And so, and then it starts to emulate like pinball moments. So for example, if the zone has bumpers, it doesn't necessarily have to go down on the next roll. It can keep bumping. Pinging about. Yeah, pinging about into the other bumpers as long as the right dice numbers keep falling down so yeah. there's this sort of like sense of pinball where you because you don't ever know what's quite going to happen on a pinball machine you don't know unless you're very good at it right but there are moments where you have just have no idea where the ball's going to bounce sure. and you're hoping that it's going to bounce the right way but there's no guarantee and so it's kind of like pinball in that regard right I mean, that sounds exciting anywho so the trick is also, like pinball, eventually you're going to lose control of your ball, right? And that's because the bottom area, uh, whenever you want to bump, like, you know, launch it with a flipper, yeah. right? You have to cross out a result. But there's a limited number of spaces yeah. for those results. So eventually something's going to fall down. And yeah. then it you'll did be like... feel like what I think of pinball is, right? Mm. Because you, you go down, down, down. Like the ball goes down, 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 yeah. down. Flips back up. Bumps about on those bumpers yeah comes back down goes one way goes the other way and like you can't quite control it because in in pinball you can't quite control it because the ball is going to fall where gravity takes it mm. and in this game you can't quite control it because it's on a dice result yeah so you have some agency with it but not as much as you might want right yeah and and that's that's the cool element of the game that's how it translates pinball mm. right but there's some weird gamey things in this as well so for example uh, you might want to let the ball drop and like just lose a life because uh, if you have the right result, once it goes down, uh, you can get like a whole bunch of points. I think maximum eight points. I eight think points. Well, no, if you, no, oh, you can if double we, it, okay, right? Yeah. You can quadruple it even, yeah, you can quadruple right? In, it. Depending on the table, right? But it, we're not getting into bonuses just no. yet, right? But yeah, you might want to let the ball drop because you'll get a lot of points, right? Which is still not what happens in pinball, Right. No. I, I mean, I bet there are tables that kind of utilize the system. Like if the ball drops, you maybe get some points or something like that. You know, if you're trying to get a high score. But but yeah, that's a weird gamified thing that is, I don't think like quite like pinball, but it makes sense as a as, as a, a game. As it's a part game. of the game. Yeah. yeah. Like how would you do it otherwise? Like, yeah, how would you make it into a game otherwise? I think they've done a really good job because really my only experience of, of pinball is 
from the Windows mm. 95 and also seeing it on the telly mm. on American TV shows. It's what I think of pinball as being. Yeah, but the great thing about it is all the bonuses and the multipliers. So you can get mm. multiple going, mm. which means you're like, you it's suddenly doubling have your two score, balls, right? doubles all the points you mm. get, right? But then you have to use both die results mm-hmm. on both of the balls. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, oh, you know, there's a whole, like everything starts to accelerate, right? Yeah. And you feel it. It's strange how, like, it's simple mechanisms, but they translate that experience very, very well. Because it does the same thing, I think, that pinball does, where if, you've, if you're juggling one ball, mm. it's all right. And if you're juggling two, you'd think it would only be a little bit harder, but it's not. It's like a thousand times harder because you've got too many things whizzing about. Super Skill Pinball 4K was designed by Jeff Engelstein, and it shows because uh, Jeff Engelstein's games are very experiential, uh, and I haven't always gotten along with his designs, but this one is definitely one of his, not just better ones, this is a fantastic, I'd say Super Skill Pinball 4K, Oh, that title is a fantastic <laughs> design, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to trying more of the tables. I've tried two now. Yeah, I want to play more. And I would say again, like any good roll and write game, it's great with a cup of coffee in the morning. Except maybe not this one, because <laughs> like pinball, once again, a bit of anxiety here. So it, it bucks the trend of the gentle roll and write experience. Where it's, it's not like gentle. I'm just filling things in, and it's nice. And no, this is. This is amped up. The only other thing I would say about it is that you ended up playing for more than 15 minutes longer than me because I lost all my balls. Yes. And once you run out of all your balls, that's it. Like Just like in real pinball, that's the game over for you. But your game finishes potentially before someone else's because they might still have balls. Start another game. Start another game, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. That would be confusing. So that was a bit strange. Yeah. I think... It's wholly unnecessary to even play this game with other people. <laughs> well, maybe. Is, well, you don't yeah. play pinball competitively with someone else. Right. You? Like, <laughs> so, well, you do. Oh, you do compare you? your score to their score. Oh, right? no. Okay, sure. But at yeah. the same time. But I don't even... Like, I don't I, know. I don't think maybe you do. this experience... trans. Like, this is very much a solo game that you can play simultaneously with, with another person. Else. Yeah, right? it's true. And the score of that particular game doesn't even matter. It's more about... Can we beat the high score in this household? Yeah. Right? That kind of thing. Yeah. So it translates to pinball again in that way. And I think if you know that at the beginning and when your balls are out, you can go off and make a cup of tea or have wee or something like, and go and do mm. something else. And you don't have to necessarily be invested or pretend to still be invested in yeah. what someone else is doing until they've finished. I think that's okay. Uh, let's talk about Calico. Okay. Calico is a game about cats unsurprisingly where you need to build no really what? yeah where you need to build or not build what's the word knit i guess uh-huh. a patchwork quilt no for let's the build a quilt that sounds a lot more fun <laughs> that sounds like lego and requires a lot less skill that than sounds knitting. like a really uncomfortable quilt made of lego and also really stiff uh-huh. <laughs> yeah a game where you need to make a nice quilt for cats uh, can, can we lay use the on. quilt? What, for humans? Yeah. No. I mean, you could, you could lay on the board. It is what kind of lush. What a of a quilt. Right? It is kind yeah. of lush. It's it's a really nice component quality. Like, it's like a double board. and So, yeah. you, so you start with a, a board uh, with missing hexagons in it, and you will take 
hexagon tiles, mm. uh, which are pieces of the patchwork quilt, and you will lay them into your own quilt to try and make a, a lovely quilt that cats will want to sit on. Uh, cats only like certain patterns or certain colours, so they will only... <laughs> it sounds really bizarre when you say yeah. it out loud. Yeah. They will only lay on your quilt if it's in those certain patterns or uh, if you build uh, enough tiles of a certain colour, you can put a button in it as well. I mean, that's just like in real life when you sew a quilt together. Yeah, you, you can't can only... just sew a button anywhere, right? No, you yeah. have to have three tiles, three tiles, three patches of no, no, cloth, tiles, tiles yeah. of the same colour yeah. uh, in order to build your quilt. Uh, that probably wasn't the best explanation. No, so I, I think... But that's the, that's the feel of the game. That's yeah. what you're doing. The takeaway is, is that Calico is a relatively simple game. Yeah. Uh, one of the, so you mentioned the two scoring conditions. This yes. cats, they want certain patterns. And if you can make a pattern long enough, you'll get a cat token. Yes. will give you points. Yes. There's, there's buttons. There's other, yeah. Yeah, there's you, buttons yeah. that you can put down. They are points as well. Yeah. There's also... And that's the key one here, right? Which is which is where you are trying to also fulfill a certain scoring condition that's yeah. both colors and patterns yes. in certain criteria that's determined randomly at the start of the game by three hexagonal tiles you put in the middle of yeah. the quilt. When you put them down, you kind of have the six hexagons around that hexagon mm -hmm. to build whatever it wants you to build. There's one thing we've sort of not been mentioning so far. Sure. And that is is that, it that it's about cats? No, Did we it's not that say the that? space is incredibly cramped, right? And these three hexagons, the scoring hexagons, sure. they take up a large central portion of the board that only has space for 22 tiles, I believe. I don't know, I didn't I th count. I think it's 22 tiles. But it's like smaller than an A4 piece of paper, isn't it? Oh like, yeah, much, yeah. Like, and and the like, hexagons are like regular, you know, board game hexagon yeah. size, I would say. So they, not yeah. Catan size. No, but, not um... Catan size. Yeah, <laughs> but there isn't enough space. There isn't enough space for anything you want to achieve. And you realize that with every tile you put down, with these very simple rules, which are basically place a tile, take a tile yeah. from the center, right? At any given time, you have two tiles. There's three tiles in the center. That's it. That's that's the rules to the game. You place a tile. There's no restrictions to where you can place a tile. Place anything you like anywhere. But you, you realize you might ruin one of the scoring conditions by trying to fulfill one of the other scoring conditions when you place a tile. So so I think you did I think both of us did that. Like we 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 inevitably ruin things. Yeah. yeah. Calico very much gives you the feeling of being a cat trapped in the corner, desperately clawing for escape, but there is no way out. I didn't get that feeling. Did you not? No. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've never been a cat in a yeah. corner, so... Well, every tile you place, there's less and less options. You start with, like, 22 spaces. I can do anything. Oh, my God, there's only five spaces left. <laughs> and I I've ruined it done for myself. For, right? <laughs> and yeah. I can't get any more buttons. No, I never felt like that. It was just one tile at a time. I just, like a cat, right? It does mm. one thing at a time and then lays down. That's how I played that game. So I will mention that we played... Uh, only one game of Calico and we played a two-player game mm. and in the rules there's a variant that that is called the less variance variant mm. where you take home some take out some sets of tiles and there, there there were moments in the game where I wish I knew exactly how many of each exact yes. tile there was because I believe Left. yeah so there's six colors and six patterns mm -hmm. so I didn't know exactly how many tiles of that particular thing there were in the game but there was one scoring tile that said to me, around this tile, please place 
six tiles all of different color and if you also manage all of different patterns you'll get even more points and vice versa it could be all of different patterns and if you also manage colors you know mm -hmm, like more mm -hmm, points mm -hmm. anyway and then i realized that there's like one tile that <laughs> is the only legal tile by the point i've created this monstrosity that exists in this game and drawing that tile is not only incredibly unlikely but it is entirely possible because i already see two of those tiles out on our quilts yeah. That it's impossible. And I'm not sure whether it was or not at that point because I still haven't counted the tiles. But I noticed how that situation kept repeating itself. I was like, I know what tile I want. What are the odds of me getting it? And the odds are not good because there's only two players. So we draw overall a lot less tiles yeah. through the course of the game. So I think next time I would play, I would only, in a two-player game, only play with that variant. Because a lot of the game's last arc felt like the last act felt mm -hmm, mm -hmm. more like a whimper rather than a bang because sure. whilst the options were receding it didn't feel like tense like oh my god are we gonna get it but more like well that's not the tile we want that's not the tile we want that tile is useless yeah, to anyone i agree with you i do agree with you but i only felt like that i think you felt a lot more like that throughout the game than i did because there are three different scoring conditions plus the buttons plus the cats like there's variety in what you can do so when something i started building up one scoring condition and then if that didn't come out then i started working on another one and i just sort of pinballed uh -huh. uh, from one to the other, bumpered from one to the other to the other, right? Yeah. Uh, thinking, okay, what can I do here? What can I do here? And so I didn't really ever feel, until that last act where there were, you know, three spaces available on my board and every one of them counted and was going to either score me points or wasn't, I don't think I quite felt like you did. Mm. I, I, I can take that on. Yeah, that, that sounds reasonable. And I would say that I maybe was somewhat blinded in that game towards achieving those tile scoring conditions rather than sometimes going for buttons or sometimes yeah. going for colors but it does feel like the primary goal of the game and and i sort of wanted to not be completely rubbish at it and i wasn't <laughs> i wasn't entirely but i did feel like it's not the, like i wasn't even ever given the chance do you know yeah, what i mean uh -huh, right uh -huh. and in that way calico feels very binary like you either will get the thing that yeah, you sure. want or you won't. Yeah, There's no sort of trickery possibly. to it. or but I don't know because there were... I didn't start off by trying to fulfill all the button conditions. So, mm. so when you place three tiles of the same color, you can put a button on it. And there are six, I think, different buttons. And if you collect all of those buttons, bearing in mind this grid is small, right? Mm. You can get a rainbow button, which scores you another three points. So it was like a little bonus for, for collecting them all. And I didn't initially start out trying to do that, but it kind of just developed over time with what I was placing. And I think I'm going to make a comparison now, which is going to sound like it's off the wall, but bear with me. So when I play Euro... Right. Mm. The problem that I always have in Euros, and I know I've mentioned this before, is that I can never pick a strategy. Right. So I start off doing one thing, look at what someone else is doing or look at the board and go, oh, this isn't working. Right. I, mm. I need to do something else. So I go off in a different direction, like a quarter of the way through the game or a third of the way or half the way through the game. And so I never do particularly well because I I want to see what the other things do and how well they work out. So I applied that to this. I guess my brain, you know, works mm. in the same way when playing not a Euro, right? So, but it worked in this because I was 
bouncing from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing and ended up um, doing better, I think, because of that. I think the one thing we should also mention before we close out on Calico it's just how gorgeous this game mm. is. Oh, it's lovely. And all the cats are based on real cats. Yes, the art is by Bev Sobel. She did a tremendous job of bringing some real cats to life. Uh, the cat on the cover is just the most adorable prawn ever. <laughs> and uh, in her prawn shape or her, his prawn shape, I'm not sure of the cat's gender, but really, really cute, curled in a in a kind of a little ball. It's adorable. I, I love it. I love the They're colors. very cute. Yeah, I love the colors in the game. I love the cats. I, I love the component quality. The colors are lovely. The yeah. presentation is nice. So this game is... Um, it feels nice to play. It feels nice to play. It's aesthetically pleasing. It's very light. You can teach it to almost anyone. Yeah. has a pleasant theme. Uh, it's a winner in many regards. Yeah. I felt like the game is cool in, in how the rules are really loose, but it still feels very tight and mm -hmm. constricting. Because of that small board, I think. Yeah. My one game of it, and I prefix only one game, was a little little skewy and, and, and the, the, the variants did feel sure. a little bit, not punishing, but more like unsatisfying. I want to try it with, with different variants. So, so maybe taking out the tiles. Mm. Or also, the other one that I want to try is changing up the scoring conditions and yes. potentially making them not the same as the opponent's scoring conditions and seeing how that works. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Mm. Lastly on games we've played uh, is Too Many Bones. Wow. That's, I know. that's a big game. That's Isn't a big it? game that a lot of people really like and are excited about. Mm -hmm. uh, we got sent over a whole bunch. We, You might even say we got sent too many, too, too many, many bones. bones. Uh, so the, sure. the kind publisher Chip Theory Games has sent us everything that they had made for that game. Uh, so right now, just just immediately to the left of me there's just a whole pile of <laughs> this is true empty too many bones boxes because so this is this is the scam they're running like i get <laughs> this right so they sent me everything but obviously what they haven't sent me was was the box which just came out that stores like instead of having many many different boxes there's a box that takes up exactly the space of one calyx shell mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. it's this wooden it really MDF box with art and it has this magnet for you to pull out shelves. Which looks like a tap. Yeah, which looks like a tap. And so you can store everything that was made for that game in, in that one box. So I had to buy that, obviously. <laughs> um, obviously. Obviously. Well, otherwise, it's just an enormous pile of boxes, uh -huh. right? Well, we, why have we still got the enormous pile of boxes then? Well, why is that to your left? That's a secret. I that's can't, a secret. I can't <laughs> tell you why we have those boxes yet, Elaine. Are we going to have to live in them? Yes. I see. Yes, Build a exactly. little fort yeah. for ourselves. I can't tell you why we still have those boxes, but mm -hmm. there is a reason for that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, too many bones. What is it? It's a dungeon crawler. Sort it of. It's, it's, it's less a dungeon crawler and more like a... Dungeon crawler themed skirmish game, I would say. Yeah, right? skirmish game is is a good description for it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, like many chip theory games, it has a a poker chip uh, component, <laughs> it right? Does. In it, there's a lot of poker chips. So you have you have uh, characters, mm -hmm. uh, and the characters are what I would describe as uh, they're called. There's something called gear locks, mm -hmm. uh, which is a made up fantasy thing by chip theory games. And, and I would describe their look as a cross, halfway cross between a gnome and a gremlin and, and something that also probably couldn't physically exist because it, it, the weight of its head 
because it's so large would crush its incredibly ridiculously thin body because right. there's no way it would have the bone structure to but let's... is it like frank oh where... like frank side bottom is yeah right, right? That's yeah what i'm thinking giant head. Like that? yeah but but no well no like, imagine frank right but he had abnormally thin arms like really right. really abnormally thin arms legs spine yeah, okay right okay and 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 then that thing you know being like tiny as well uh-huh. and then had all kinds of weapons or a boar to ride on or whatever, Ooh. you know. Yeah. There's all kinds of different characters. Too many bones has come out in two different versions. Or like a like a pop vinyl head. Yeah, like a like, pop vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine <laughs> more a pop vinyl head. Okay. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, so it's it's fantasy gremlin pop vinyls. Uh, that are fighting all kinds of monsters in randomly generated skirmishes that are strung together in a game where at the end you defeat a boss mm. and then you either win or you don't. Right? Makes it sound, sorry, I made it sound like I haven't played this game. I have. No, I know. Uh, I know. I know. I'm trying to give an impression of the game to to the audience at home listening. I just didn't remember that. Yeah. So Too Many Bones is incredibly popular. It's incredibly well beloved. I, I have to say that now that I've played it, I understand the love. Yeah. I understand the appeal. Uh, so we played the undertow version. There's two different versions. Mm. There's too many bones, and then a standalone expansion called Too Many Bones Undertow. Uh, too Many Bones has four characters, uh, and is more expensive. Undertow only has two characters, but is less expensive, and was meant to be more like the uh, the entryway. You sure. know, uh, that makes sense. It's not because the rules are more complicated, <laughs> more convoluted, yeah. and uh, introduces. Uh, all kinds of things. One of the characters in Undertow is incredibly simple to play, which is Duster. Well, mm-hmm. when I say incredibly simple, we'll get to that in a second. It's not, but in comparison. Uh, and uh, it stands there's probably... I've played a bunch of different characters now from too many Bones things. Yeah. Uh, Stanza is definitely one of the most complicated characters uh, because she's juggling a lot of like songs at the same time. She's kind of like a bardic type character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, songs require focus to keep up and which one do you drop which do you want do you want to keep going etc mm-hmm. but but the idea i think is of too many bones is that you have encounters you're gonna either win or lose those encounters mm. if you're gonna win you're gonna get you know stuff. points and stuff and upgrades. gear upgrades and then hopefully by the time you get towards when you can fight a boss you have enough upgrades and xp and stuff like that you're leveled up enough that you can actually take down the boss and then the fights themselves really, really simple because yeah. because you effectively you have health, which are your poker chips, and then you have attack, which is how many dice you roll to attack, mm-hmm. and then you have defense, which if you roll defense, you'll have some defense that you can subtract from the attack. That's sort of the game, except of course all the other rules that come along, <laughs> like uh, the tech trees. Yeah, like. That's, that bit I found interesting. Yeah. So e- I think that... E- sorry, yeah. I was just going to say very quickly, each character has a whole sheet. Yeah. Of like just rules. Yeah. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Like a double side of A4 sheet of how your character works, what they can do, what the symbols mean, mm. and then a little bit about the game generally and what symbols mean and how it works. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot to get your head around. And I was completely confused for probably the first 20 minutes of us playing, wasn't mm. I? Mm. Um, just because there was so much to try and remember. Because yeah. it, although you've got like this sheet that you can refer to, you have to remember when you need to refer to it and for what, right? Like, otherwise you just are lost. Um, but I really like the the kind of tech trees. So you, when you take an ability in something, mm. it kind of branches off potentially 
into better things. Yeah, unlocking different skills unlocking, altogether, yeah, for yeah. example. Or, yeah. or better versions of the same skill. Mm. And I, I really like that. I found, found that interesting decision-making uh, as to do I go off into do something totally different? Do I, like, generalise? So I've, I'm a little bit good at everything. Or do I really focus in on one thing and make that as good as I can get it? I really enjoyed that part of it. I I enjoyed a lot of Too Many Bones. Uh, I like the boss as well. Yeah, the boss yeah, was cool. Yeah, the boss fight was cool. So so we played against Barnacle, which is Yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, and and it felt like like any good boss fight there was like things to figure out and you know like stra- you know strategic decisions that you had to make. Which felt more strategic than the other fights, I think for me. Yeah. When we played it, the other fights were kind of bish bash bosh. Let's get this thing out the way as much as as quickly as possible Mm. whereas that felt more like a dance yeah like i'm going here i'm going there you're going here you're going like and moving around like that Mm. that was definitely the highlight of too many bones for me and i played more games on my own Mm -hmm. afterwards Mm uh and with two characters at the same time because i wanted to see what that experience was like and i have to say that first game was probably my best game of too many bones um, was it because it was two player or because you just enjoyed the the storyline? No, maybe like so the storyline actually got progressively more interesting because I uh, it's just at first it's just random encounters strung together. <laughs> but but then like seated into the encounter deck there's like strands that you can pick up on Ooh. like that lead onto like a multi-encounter storyline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know you might get that or you might not get right. that at the time like you're playing a game. But no, no, the story got more interesting actually as as I was playing along. But the variance really got very frustrating at okay. one point uh, because at the end of the day, too many bones is still a game where you're just rolling a lot of dice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are rolling a lot of dice, and it's either going to go your way or not. But like um, each game of too many bones is a significant investment. You're going to have like five, six combat encounters sure. yeah. at at minimum, right? Yeah, and and then. After that sort of grueling, like, fight, 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 you get to the boss and you're going to like, okay, this is like, this is the culmination of all of this, you know, of all, all this effort and trying and tribulations. And then one dice roll goes wrong and you lost. Yeah, but any game with dice has that issue or any game with randomness. No, but I, I agree. And to an extent, that's fine. But like... There was a moment where I felt like I hadn't, I didn't even have any control. Like the fight started. Yeah. I rolled one die. It didn't go the way I wanted. Right, and then the whole outcome was the, determined. Yeah, the whole outcome was determined. Mm, like, yeah. And, and, and not kind of, not even in a way where like, you know, oh, because I rolled that, I'm probably not going to do well. But more like chain reaction, chain reaction, chain uh-huh. reaction, we're all dead. Uh-huh. Uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and at the same time, you can work the other way around because you know a single dice roll could chain react into just amazing things yeah. happening for you right yeah. and and i was certainly like the highs are really high and the lows are just annoying Flat. yeah mm. we're we're delving more into too many bones this isn't the last we'll be that talking you will about. hear about this yeah. From us. yeah whether you like it or not we will <laughs> i like can mute that bit well i guess yeah <laughs> don't don't do not don't hit mute, mute that bit you know yeah Otherwise, you won't know all the other exciting things we're going to be talking about. Like what games we're looking forward to playing. 
we've got three quite similar games, I think, that we're looking forward to playing this this time. Versailles 1919, Point Salad and Marvel Champions. They're all quite similar games, I think. You're making a joke, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. But your face was like, why are you saying this? Like, you're, why are you so wrong about this, Elaine? I don't know why. It I was a joke. straight. I know. Yeah. And let's start with Point Salad. I, we played Point Salad before. Uh, yes. And I'm very much looking forward to it because... It was uh, a friend of ours, Matthew Dunstan, who's a designer of a few games, mm-hmm. uh, brought it over when he was visiting in February in the before times. Uh, and, and we played it with Ross from More Games, Please. Yeah, and we just had a really nice time playing this quick game. And I had no expectations because Point Salad is a is a game themed around salad, but it's mm-hmm. also Point Salad. And I thought, that that's stupid. Uh, that was my I- immediate, you know, it's like... It's just a quick card game. Yeah, but it was surprisingly fun and I really yeah, enjoyed it. So it was. I- I'm looking forward to seeing whether uh, it-, it is as fun as that one time that I played it. Or whether it. it was the company you were playing it with. Yeah, exactly, right? So tune back in the next episode. We'll find out. Uh, there's almost also Marvel Champions. So again, another game that we've played already. Yeah. Marvel Champions was a game that came out early in the year. And uh, my immediate reaction to it was why after having played it, because it felt like it was trying to do something like Arkham Horror, the card game was doing, Mm. but much worse, Mm. but with a Marvel theme that obviously everyone's really excited about. So it felt more like an IP game. Then I realized that with any of these LTG games, living collectible card games. I mean, Arkham Horror is an IP game, isn't it? Well, I guess Arkham, yeah, I guess Lovecraft is an IP technically, Mm. just this free to anyone to True. use. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I I I felt like like Arkham Horror is just better, but I wanted to see how this game develops and it's been some time now. There's been all kinds of different products released mm-hmm. for it, a, a lot Expansions of new and... Yeah, a lot of new characters that you can play and some characters that I really like like Doctor Strange or Miss Marvel and also a campaign mode. Oh. Right? So I'm quite looking forward to that because one of the weakest parts of Marvel Champions for me was the story. Sure. And I want to see if it gets even remotely better. Yeah, I, I didn't like it that much the first time we played it. I don't know if that was the game or it was just that I'm not into Marvel that much. Or maybe so, the characters were boring. The you characters, know, the starting characters. Yeah, maybe. There's lots of new characters. Maybe. And I'm so very I'm, keen to try them. I'm looking forward to playing it again and seeing what it's like now. Mm. And lastly, Versailles 1919. Much like... Super Skill Pinball 4K. Uh, it was designed by Jeff Engelstein. Oh. Uh, and also Mark Herman. Uh, I know nothing about Versailles 1919, apart from reports from many other board game reviewers who are saying, it's great. And oh, it's, a, it's a conflict simulator or peace simulator from, from GMT Games, who are known for doing war games or mm-hmm. conflict simulators. Obviously, Versailles 1919 is the, you know, the yeah. World War I peace treaty. Yeah. So themed around that. I'm looking forward to it. That's all I know about it. Yeah, post World War 1. Yeah. We'll see what see what that's like. I'm sure it was swell. Efka, we've been so positive in this podcast. I feel like it's a time for a bit of negativity. Well, get ready for this Elaine because something really got into my grumps and oh, my grumps no. are grumpy. Oh, oh Elaine, Hero Quest, please save me. Save me from the Hero Quest Why? talks and publicity i hate i hate the the whole thing the whole thing not just hero quest right Uh the entire event of hero quest being on on this weird crowd 
crowd plunding yeah crowd plunding platform <laughs> called plunge or something i think it's called pulse from right. hasbro okay sorry let me do that again from Hasbro, there we go. That's how that feels like to me. Right. Anyway, so Hero Quest, if you're not familiar, is by now just a nostalgia thing. Uh, but it was a board game in the '90s. Right, that... What was the From Hasbro thing? Was it like Sega? Yeah, was it, it was, like a, the, it was the a commercial advert. jingle. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Please yeah. carry on. It's it's a board game from the '90s that was one of the first dungeon crawlers. That like you know, it wasn't D and D. It was just a board game, but mm-hmm. it was themed around fantasy and going into dungeons and stuff. And it was terrible. Uh, like it was genuine genuinely awful i get i get that people have nostalgia for it and they have fond memories playing it as a kid but guess what you're not a kid now it's a harsh wow. reality wow and it's it, it, it that's it hero quest let people like things from their past it's terrible it's not only roll and move right oh, okay but it's roll and move where you roll and you're like i'm dead right oh hey great hooray fun and i i know that there's uh there's this person uh, who looks very charming and affable on on YouTube, and he's called something like Bardic Quest, and he has that sort of look about him of not not a wizard. Do uh-huh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And and he he made this very popular video about why Hero Quest is amazing, and and I just I just, I just watched and I thought, have you? I I know you've played Hero Quest because of all the things you're talking about, right? right? But have you actually played Hero Quest because it's tedious? My Do you gosh, know people have different tastes, right? No, 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 no. It's not different tastes. It's <laughs> it's it's just it's not different tastes. It's it's just you know it's a lack for appreciation of how miserable a game can make you feel. Wow, I've never played Hero Quest. So well, I've you no saved idea, yourself right? a lot of bother, you know, because uh, because I don't. I look, I know you. You're not gonna like Hero Quest. Right. Okay. There's nothing fair, you're gonna enjoy about fair. Hero Quest. Uh, and and a lot of people who are into board games right now. Yeah. Feel the same way. Oh, okay. But they say things like, well, yeah, but it's nostalgia. And it was cool when I was a kid. And, and you know, I have kids now. So I, I maybe they can try HeroQuest. And if you're thinking that to yourself, my honest question to you is, why? Why would you subject your children to torment, right? Just because you as a child like something in the 90s, it doesn't mean that kids are going to like the same thing 30 <laughs> years later, right? It's it's a different time and there's better board games for kids. Someone wrote into me saying, uh, you know, I play Gloomhaven with my nine-year-old and I love it on our Gloomhaven good, video, right? Good. I'm like, great, fantastic, right? Like, you don't have to play Hero Quest. You can play Gloomhaven with your kids. It's much better. It's a better game. Just play Gloomhaven. But, but okay, so I, I know I ragged on Hero Quest a yes. lot, right? But the reason I am genuinely grumpy and genuinely upset is is the whole pulse thing that Hasbro right. is doing, right? So first of all, uh, they didn't put it on Kickstarter, no, right? But they did put it on a crowd pl- funding platform that they made themselves, <laughs> uh, asking for a million dollars right, as if okay. Hasbro needs it to print a game. Well, but right? I guess they're trying to do pre-orders. They're trying to do marketing, right? right? Yeah, marketing of the worst kind because. 
this this crowdfunding platform. They also want to see if it's you know it got any interest. No, no, in no, it, Elaine, no, All no. Right, that's okay. not what they're doing. <laughs> they're, they, I'm tell, I'll tell you why they put it on their own crowdfunding so platform. Yes, you know, I am. Can I just stop you? Uh, yeah. uh, to everyone who's listening, Efra is literally pointing at me <laughs> right now, like wagging his finger. Well, he's so cross that he's wagging his finger. Well, at this me. is Efra grumps about a game, so I'm I getting know. into the mood of You've it. You've never wagged your finger at me before. Though. Well, okay, okay. No, so <laughs> hear me out. I think the reason that they've put this game on on its own crowd of fun uh-huh. plunding platform yep. is because they knew that whatever they're doing is rubbish, right? right? And doesn't stand up to crowdfunding standards that many board game companies, much smaller than Hasbro, yeah. have been, you know, exceptional at, at, at performing. So, you know... So first of all, do you mean like Kickstarter? Or yeah, yeah well, I mean little companies that do yeah. games on Kickstarter. Yeah. You know, there's no worldwide shipping. It mm. ships to like it ships to America or Canada, and it if you only live in Canada, ships to Washington, right? Like the shipping is as much as the game, which is by the oh. way either a hundred dollars or a hundred fifty dollars if wow. you want the expansions, right? Wow. Right. So there's that. But then not only is shipping rubbish, right? Yeah. There's virtually no information about the game. There's no rule book. There's, there's, there's nothing, that's, right? That's really odd. Right? It doesn't even tell you when you're going to get the game. Like, so no I expected look, delivery? May, or... Maybe there is somewhere. Right. But I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. And there's nothing, mm-hmm. right? And the sad part is it's going to get a million dollars. Yeah, probably. Probably more. Because like when I, when I tweeted about it, people were like, yeah, I know. But like, you know, Hero it's Quest. Hero Quest. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, but why does every edition of Monopoly sell out? Because people have this kind of weird nostalgia, right? Nostalgia is a very powerful thing. Why did people buy Tamagotchis? Why did people want to buy the Nokia 3310? Because they remember it from their past. It, like, n- no one really wants a Tamagotchi, right, when they're 35, right? It's because they remember it and they like, there's no reason to have one, is what I mean. They, but they, but you like something from your past and, and you want to have that little feeling back of that time. Yeah. I'm I not get excusing. It, but I'm upset. Like, Hero take, Quest take, because take that $150 and put it into the hands of, of like a smaller independent publisher who are yeah, trying to sure. do something cool. That's my only request. Don't back Hero Quest. It's not going to be good. No matter how no, I'm not, fond you are. I'm not are trying to excuse it. I'm just saying why yeah. that kind of thing happens, right? But no, there's plenty of other games out there that yeah. you could play with your kids or play with your friends. or You don't have to suck yourself back in time to try and relive a moment from your past. Exactly, right? Make new good memories. Yes. With different games. Yes. Thank you for rounding the, this grumpy <laughs> section with a little bit of positivity and a positive outlook, Elaine. Oh, Elaine, all that grumpiness, I have to be honest, really took you it out of tired me. You tired after yes. that. Can you, can you ungrump the situation <laughs> for us, please? I would like to talk today about not a game, again, okay. uh, not a specific game, but I would like to talk about something that is on Board Game Geek. First of all, what I would like to say is, Efka said to me that that I'm quite awkward when I do this quite often because 
I am quite a cynic, naturally. Uh-huh. And I come across as disingenuous sometimes when I don't mean to. Uh, so, But all of these are really genuine. Like okay. Genuine disgrace. Okay. You know, genuine things that I like. You just made it even more awkward. I know. You know that. I know. I'm, okay. a, I'm an awkward person by nature. All right. But what I would like to talk about today is something on Board Game Geek. And it's something that Aldi did back in April, I think, mm. um, that I've known about for a long time. Aldi, who's Scott Alden, the yes, sorry. CEO of I Board Game have, Geek, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, Possibly. He's the, the owner. The, he's the man in charge. The big cheese of Board Game Geek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what he made back in April, so we were kind of like a bit through the pandemic by then, was a distance gaming guide. Mm. Uh, and it's like a thread of... Things that you can find that will help you with distance gaming. So so what I really liked about it was not only that um, it made me feel a lot more clever because I have friends that game casually. So mm-hmm. like they're not big board gamers, but they game, you know, they play games with their friends or their family. And all of these people didn't know what to do during this time because board gaming is a lovely thing to be able to do, especially when you can't meet up with people, right? But how do you do that? And it made me feel very clever because they would ask me, well, what games do you think, you know, I could play, like, Mm. between my family, like, over Zoom or whatever? Mm. And this thread had all the answers. So I just (laughs) was like, "Uh, hang on a second, I'll just just have a look, right? Uh, And came back to them with, like, code names or whatever. And But also on this, in this thread, not only does it have... Um, what you need as the host of uh, the game, but it has what the other people need. Mm. So all the games on there are things that you don't need a lot of things to be able to play, right? So you might just need a pen and paper or you might need nothing at all. Mm. Like if you're not the host, if Mm. you're the host, you need the game, I think, for the most part. But it also made me find out about things that I didn't know about Mm -hmm. um, that are going to be useful after all of this, when we can meet up, and it's things like the Welcome To app. There is a whole app that will track your writing, I guess, so you don't need the sheet. Right. And then anyone can access that. And a lot of it is available on through Board Game Geek. Wait, so I don't need a sheet? I can just play it on my phone? Yeah. Welcome To? Yeah, I think you still, well, you need, still need the card, You still right? need yeah. the card. So someone needs a copy of the game. It's not yeah. the entire game, but it's yeah, the but sheet, Yeah, but you just put it right? on the webcam on Zoom, and, right? And I and believe... Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And I believe the app will also track your scores. Right. So you don't need to do the mental gymnastics at the end I of... I didn't know what that. Did That's I brilliant. Exactly, right? right? So it has all these Who useful... <laughs> it has all these useful resources that there are links to it or mm. uh, references to it or... Uh, links to other bits of board game geek so like the sheet that you can print the sheets that you can print off for things Mm. Um, and it's just a really really nice resource during the pandemic and also after well scott alden once again proving himself a fantastically helpful person yes uh I I didn't know about this and I feel like I've learned and a you lot. And you can find it easily. I think it was for a long time. It was on the front page of Board Game Geek. I'm not yeah. sure it still is. Well, you know what? I remember like when the pandemic started and I was like, well, I guess we'll be playing board games online for the next three months. Right? Yeah. No, still relevant, right? Yeah. Uh, we will include the link uh, in the podcast section yeah. on our website. So if you go to nopunincluded.com slash podcast and click on the relevant episode you will you will find the link and also you can leave a comment if you want to discuss anything that we've mentioned in this specific episode or in any other episodes that's the place to be nopunincluded.com slash podcast you can leave a comment 
and uh, tell us what you think, what you liked, and maybe find this link to Distance Gaming if you need it. Well, Star Wars. Star Wars Unlock. You are now listening to the Puzzle Deduction One, one and, and Done, done segment. Segment. Something. Escape the Room segment. Yeah, something. The Puzzle like that. Deduction Escape the Room One and Done, done segment. segment. There, there we you go. go. Yeah, good title. Uh, and we have finally arrived to Star Wars Unlock. Uh, I, I've been waiting for this, mostly because I wanted to find out, is this just another, you know, like, brand cash-in? Mm-hmm. Or is this going to be a great tie-in to, like, escape rooms? You know, how many how many times in your life do you get to do a Star Wars escape room, <laughs> right? And it's not just one, you get to do free. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this time, if this box is the same in America as, as it is in Europe, because Unlock generally in America... Uh, when it comes out, uh, it's in three separate yes. sets. Whereas in, in Europe, you just buy the whole set together uh, in a in a combined, not very expensive price. Yeah, uh, I don't know. If but Star this Wars... one is a little bit different because yeah. it seems to be for people that have not played Unlock before. Yeah, so that that was, I guess, the answer to the question uh, whether it's just a you know mm. IP cash in. Don't know. Right? Like, Can I just say we're both wearing Star Wars clothing? But you, you're wearing your Star on Target T-shirt, yes. and I'm wearing my um, Darth Vader Merry Christmas Sithmas yeah. <laughs> jumper. <laughs> Christmas jumper. That was purely by accident. Yeah. Yeah. But but we've we've played for all three, and I know we've been talking about unlock. We're gonna we're gonna move on to a different escape room. Yeah. Puzzle deduction one and done. Uh, next episode, but but for now it's still unlock, and it felt like. It felt like going back to the early days of Unlock yeah, very kind much. Of. Uh, but and no, with some of the more recent, like, clever changes. Yeah, sort of. Uh, so so it's utilizing the app in, 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 in some of those clever ways that it's mm. been doing in the other boxed sets. But I have to say, overall, I feel a little bit lukewarm about this mm. box. So I like Star Wars a lot. I like it a lot less after Episode Nine. <laughs> But, you know, let's not get into that. Um, I felt like it did a lot of Star Wars for me. It's just like, I'm not sure I like this so much anymore, you know? Wow. Yeah. But but there's, there's still a lot of great, you know, Star Wars escapism out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I still enjoy it. Uh, and and I wanted to enjoy this. And I'm not sure I loved it. So, oh. first of all, does it feel like Star Wars? And the answer is yes, but not always in a good way. Right. right? Uh, the very first of the three uh, adventures that you play is is well. The first problem is that it's because they realize that some a lot of people who are into Star Wars but not necessarily ever played an escape room game mm-hmm. might buy this. Mm-hmm. So they felt like okay, we have to put on the brakes and make this as accessible as possible, which is good, yeah. right? Sorry, that was the dog. That was that having was a, a little laugh. Dog barking at me for dissing Star Wars. <laughs> But yeah, so which is great. It made it accessible. But if you played a lot of escape room games, it's not a particularly engaging start. Sure, right? okay. It felt very simple, very basic puzzles that you solve in just an instant. And it didn't yeah. feel very rewarding when we solved them. But the problem with that wasn't just that it was that. Like, I don't mind like a starter adventure. That makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Is that the story was trying to emulate episode five mm. in a very sort of weird parallel way. Where all the all the sort of beats of episode five, you're like on half, and you know what happens on half. Well, all these things happen, right? I are are reverberated for this, 
but you're not the characters from mm. episode five. You're mm. just some unnamed character where the exact same things are happening to that character, yeah. like as 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 to the characters in in this in the film, right? Yeah. And and you're like, are these things happening at the same time in parallel? Is this like an alternate Star Wars universe where those <laughs> characters don't exist? Maybe you know, like. Well, yeah, I guess you are the one of the characters now. Yeah, but you never feel like a hero. You just feel like like you're you're like a hapless rebel, you know, person, and and things just sort of happen to you that also happen to all the people in the film. But I you never like see the people in the film. You're being a purist there, because like for me, someone that enjoys the films well yeah. enough, that didn't bother me at all. Well, the weird thing is that it also veered off towards the end, and then different things started happening Ooh. that didn't happen in the film. And I'm like, so which one is it? Are, are these are these all the beats from the film or yeah. are they not, right? But I guess that's the same issue that I had with the Alice in Wonderland one or a very similar issue that, yeah. that all the all the beats of the, the story are there, but they're mm. not necessarily in the right places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, let's move on to the second adventure, which uh, is where you're playing a smuggler yeah. who's been trapped in, in a Star Destroyer, captured by yeah. Imperials, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one felt... I think I think that was my favorite out, out of the three. Uh, it it felt like uh, story wise, not just I mean you know the story in all of these is pretty thin you know, sure. but it felt cohesive mm-hmm. like in what you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. uh, what the plot is telling you to do, and and what you're trying to do. Uh, the puzzles felt interesting. If once again a touch on the easy side, yeah, I f- think all of them felt quite easy. Even even yeah. the last one that is the hardest one generally, yeah. we didn't have any trouble with it at all. No, um, we did have some trouble, but we'll but get into that a little bit later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so th- this one was my favorite one. It had some adorable moments. It had one particular moment. Uh, that was to do with the app uh, that I'm going to mention more <laughs> of. But it it asked us to do something that made me feel like I was a character in the story. Oh, right? yeah. And I really liked that. That was my favorite moment out of this entire box. I really liked doing it. I'm not going to spoil more from that. But that I'm, I'm not sure that was worth the ticket price of the box sure, alone. Okay. Uh, but that was pretty good. I think generally the app is really well implemented in these later unlocks. So the last yeah. box we played in this one. Um, they've really thought about not just like an app as a as a timer and you know a mm. thing that you enter codes into but how do we really implement this within the game how do we do things with the app that we can't do with cardboard well the thing that amazes me continuously is that each time i play unlock it still feels different mm. and this is something that exit has been failing at lately, <laughs> right right yeah. yeah like it still feels different and every time i open a box i go what, I'm, yeah, like what, <laughs> what what's gonna happen next i don't know it, it's yeah. it's always something new and something different and i feel like I'm, I'm sort of getting so familiar with unlock now that i can just sort of feel the beats of the puzzle right sure. if that makes okay. sense and and they're becoming easier and easier right uh, some of them are but and yeah. then we overthink them and yeah yeah so and and there's the final adventure, which is where you are playing an imperial agent that's infiltrating Jeddah, which is yep. a planet from the extended universe, but also Star Wars Rogue One, the okay, movie. Right? I believe you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have no idea. Uh, and and that felt like the most esoteric one. It's it's definitely the most complicated out of the three, even still sure. not difficult. Uh, but it sort of tried to show, I think, how broad these puzzles can be, yeah. and try to open itself up. 
And because of that, there was, it felt a little bit confusing. Okay. Right? Like, it felt directionless. I guess there are elements of this that, where you feel a little bit lost because you, you have a card that's a room. Mm. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler no, because yeah. that's in all of them. You have a card that's a room and you're kind of, you're still in that room, but then you've moved on to a different room and you've moved on to different puzzles that aren't related to this room. But, but are we actually still in this room or are we supposed to be? Have we like not discarded a card we were supposed to, or are we missing something? Or And I think that was a little bit woolly. Um, yeah. And what really didn't help, and I think you alluded this, to this earlier, is is that the app glitched out on us. And, yes. And, and in the last puzzle, not the last puzzle, the last adventure, somewhere midway through the, the, the scenario, we did a thing yeah. that didn't work on the app and didn't yeah. register the way it was meant to. And, and we only found out how to do it because we tried it and it didn't work. Mm. Right? And then we bimbled about for a long time yeah until we decided to look up in the included solution guide yeah there is a literally like a walkthrough yeah like uh, included in this box and it's it's like uh chronological as well so you can be like well i'm at this place i'm gonna find this place i'm gonna find the solution which was really nice Mm, really helpful it was like oh okay this is what i do right and it was so welcome because we didn't really need it, but we needed it when something went wrong, yeah. right? And then we looked up and we're like, we were meant to do this. Oh, we did this exact thing. And it, and, and I'm pretty certain that we did do it exactly I think so. as, as we were meant so. to do. But it just didn't work the first time for some reason. Because I guess sometimes technology fails mm. and doesn't work as intended. Mm. And then, But then we did it and it was fine. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So it was really helpful to have that sort of solution guide because if something goes wrong... There's all the answers there. Yeah, and, and you don't get penalised for it. Apart from like no. the, it's counting down your time while you're yeah. looking in a book, right? You're not getting penalised for putting in the wrong codes or doing the wrong thing or mm. like turning over cards that you're not meant to turn over. Another thing I noticed is that, first of all, not only did we solve all of these in the allotted time, which is a first for unlock, mm. uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but also now the penalty for doing something wrong is much less severe. It's one minute, It's I one think, minute, rather yeah. than like... Five or whatever it, it was. It used to be before. five or then three. Three. Yeah. yeah. And, and now it's just one, which feels very, very welcome. It's like, yeah. why does it need to be five because minutes? Because, like, in all honesty, we have played the games, some of the unlock puzzles, without the timer because we're just like, let's. Like, I don't want to be stressed. I want to yeah. read the story. I want to find out what happens. I want to sit here and solve the puzzles together. I want to have a nice time. I don't want this pressure of the app going, come on, hurry yeah. up. Uh, last, and it didn't feel like that. No, it did not feel like that. The last thing I want to mention is the music. <laughs> yeah. So the app has music. And wouldn't you wish it was Star Wars music? Wouldn't you wish it was John Williams? It's not. But it's something that sounds vaguely yeah. like John Williams, which makes it all the much worse. Yeah. Because... It does have Gustav Holst in it. So yeah. that's not a spoiler. No. Okay, sure. But like, I just, I just all, all the time, painfully aware. Oh, this is meant to be like the Imperial March, but it's not. And it feels, yeah. I don't, I guess, I guess it's, it's a license they just couldn't get, you know, because yeah. music is expensive, but it felt so disappointing. It was just like, uh, I get what you're trying to do, but it's not the same. Mm. I'd rather you just had 
blinky blonky space music you know really right? yeah yeah i really insipid just, space music yeah i would rather have that than something that pretends to be star wars music and isn't what i was grateful for in this game i think as someone that isn't like into the star wars universe was that yeah. this box wasn't just about darth vader and da 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 it explored loads of different characters yes and i really appreciated that because Firstly, because I got to find out a bit more about these characters. Second of all, because I felt smart, because I was like, oh, I recognize this character from, you know, the films. Yeah. And then third of all, because were you... Were there any characters from the... Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 there, yeah, were. There, yeah were. there were. Yeah, there were, there were. Not uh, much. But no, there were. Yeah. but there were. Yeah. Uh, and it made me feel smart. Yeah. Uh, and thirdly, because you got to tell me a little bit more about some of these. Yeah. And I, I like that a lot. You, you don't need any Star Wars knowledge to enjoy you don't, this. No. If you just like escape room games and you don't give a hoot about Star Wars, this is perfectly fine. Just, it's just a fantasy has, kind of yeah, yeah. space. It has a lot of decent Star Wars artwork, actually, yeah. uh, which I thought this must be because, you know, uh, Unlock is published by Space Cowboys, which are on the, uh, the Asmodee umbrella, mm. which maybe means that they got the art assets from Fantasy Flight Games. They've or maybe, clearly had some sort of license. Yeah, or, or maybe they just just hired artists to do like all this great yeah, stormtrooper art and stuff like that you know so uh it looks pretty good uh it looks like star wars should look like and it mm. you know it's it's unlock mm. it's what it is it's that time of the year again it's the feature review of the podcast and today we're reviewing iwari why do you say it like that because <laughs> it's like from shooting stars like Wavavu, Iranu, like that. I'm I'm not sure that's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I I don't know. I don't know. Shooting stars. If you're not familiar uh, with with was the a dippy quiz show called British pseudo quiz show um, <laughs> with Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. I'm Rika Johnson. So so I'm I'm not part of British culture, but I got to see the revival of shooting stars. Mm. And it's something else. You are part of British culture now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not familiar, I guess it's on YouTube probably or something like that. Probably. You can probably see what it is. It's it's something else. Anyway. Anyway, it's got uh, nothing to do with this game. No, no. It's um, So Iwari is a game that's been around for a long time and has been published under different names. I believe mm. the first time it was published was in 2002 under the name Web of Power. Um which was uh, sort of set in medieval times. Mm -hmm. It was published either as Han or as China or the mm -hmm. other way around. So it was China and Han, two different names, both a Chinese type setting. But mm -hmm. I think one, one was more time specific and the other one was just generally right. in China. Right. And, and now it's called Iwari and it has sort of no discernible time or place. It's just sort of cradle of civilization style uh, tribes, people of, of different colors, and mm -hmm. by colors I mean you know like Player blue, colors. yeah, green and yellow and stuff like that, and and they're 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 spreading across the land, and and that's sort of the theme of the game. We're trying to it's it's people spreading across a land, mm. and whoever's going to control the most. It is land. an area control game. Yeah, it's 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 a very generic theme, but I guess what I find interesting, and I I sort of almost found endearing was that. It's it's the same story reverberating through time and and yeah and I know space. yeah it's it's an interesting concept like in Cloud Atlas or something where you have the same kind of people but they're moving through time 
Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think that was the publisher's intention. Right. Or, yeah, but <laughs> but if it gives you that feeling, then that's a valid point. Well, it, it it did give me that feeling until you pointed out. Well, it's just people colonizing places. It's not this really a very I good did, story. I right? did say that. Yeah, yeah, that it's it's a very common thing that had happened. Yeah. So so thematically, uh, Iwari is a bit of a wet blanket, but. <laughs> Uh, but game-wise, I think it's a very interesting game. So, mm-hmm. first of all, Iwari, I would I would pitch Iwari yeah. as, hey, you know Catan, and you know how we're all done with Catan, so if you're done with Catan, but you have friends who still really want to play Catan, you could bring them Iwari and say, how about we try this one? Or if you like Catan, better. but you don't like sheep. Yeah, or, or the whole trading element or rolling a die mm. uh, because Iwari is a game with no luck. Uh, but uh, to, to describe it... There but, is some luck. There is some luck, yeah. In the cards uh, that you draw. Yeah, that's true. To describe it, you have a map, mm. right? And on that map, there are many territories. Mm-hmm. And on each of those territories, there are places where you can place tents and also places where you can play totem discs. Yes. And uh, those tent spots are connected via roads. And then through the course of the game, you'll be placing tents. Yeah, you're trying to make the biggest area and the biggest uh, settlement. Yeah. And you're trying to spread out throughout the map to try and sort of claim areas. I I, I can't make Iwari sound very exciting because... But I want to because I think it's a very good game. Mm. But the objective is very simple, really. You're just trying to get the most points. The way you get points is by having more things on the territory than other players, Mm. right? But with that come a couple of little rules caveats that mm. make the game a little bit more interesting. So uh, to play Wari, you simply have three cards in your hand and you can play... There's a strange rule, but it'll make There's sense... There's a 3 one rule. The 3 one rule. Uh, it'll make sense when I describe it. So you always have three cards and you can play on your turn at most three cards uh, to place at most two pieces yes. in at most one territory, yes. right? So you're always constricted. If you choose to play something in one territory, your entire turn must be spent placing things in, in that, that territory. territory. Yeah. yeah, And if nothing's placed in that territory, all you can do is place one tent. Immediately, interesting things emerge from that because you want to place more things in a territory that's like good. You know, you think, oh, this is a big territory. It's going to score me a lot of points if I place yeah. a lot of things here. But you can only place one tent. But if you do place one t- that one tent next tent... It opens tent, it up for everyone else. Yeah, it opens mm. up for you, but it also it opens up for everyone else. So that's already like a nice little rules thing. But then you can, you know, once, once the territory is open, you can place more things. You can place a tent or you can place a totem. I mean, th- when you say more things, you can place... Yeah. Just tents and totems. Yeah. It's not like... That's true. But they all, score, of things. they all score for different reasons. Yeah. I don't think I can make... Iwari make much sense without describing the game's scoring. Sure. You score points in Iwari twice throughout the course of the game. Once there's the mid-game scoring, which is where you will score all the tents. And then at the end of the game, you will score all of the tents again, but you also will score totems. Mm. And then you will score settlements. Mm. Uh, And the way that works is that uh, once you do get tent scoring, you will see whoever has the most tents in one area. Mm. That person will score one point for each tent, but not their tent... All the tents. All the tents area. in that area. And the second person with the most tents mm. will score one point for each tent 
that the first person has. Yes. And then the third person will score one point for each that the second person <laughs> has, and so on and on it's it an goes. Interesting scoring. It's turtles all the decision, way down. Right? Yeah, and it creates some really, really cool and weird situations in the game. So, for example, you're like, okay, this this is a big area, mm. you know, like there's lots of spaces. Cool, I'll put some tents down, right? And you have like three tents there. That's like way more than anyone else. Maybe another player has a tent. Another player has one more tent, mm. right? And then you realize that no one's placing tents there. <laughs> and you're like, maybe I should place a tent. But then you're like, wait a minute, I don't want to. I'm barely going to gonna score anything. Yeah, because, so, okay, I'm already scoring five points. Yep. This is great because there's yep. five tents, yep. three by me, yep. two by two other players, right? Yep. Uh, so I'm happy. And those other players also don't want to put any more tents because they're both already scoring three points yeah. from my three tents. Yeah. Anytime I put a tent in there, I'm going to score like an extra point. But, but so I'm, will they. Yeah, but so will they. Uh. And and so very quickly, so the map in Iwari is quite big. There's, yeah. There are a lot of territories. But very quickly, this sort of diaspora happens where like you're, you're not just placing, like fighting for one territory, mm. but it's it's like a war over the entire land. Like, mm. and you're constantly trying to spot opportunities like, ah, oh, if, if I just sneak in a totem there, like, hi, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a lot of points and hopefully no one notices it. Unless somebody else over the course of the game puts more totems in that area than you have. And you've run out of totems because you spread yourself too thinly. This may or may not be something that I did <laughs> <laughs> uh, and ended up with... Kind of no points from totems, hardly any points from totems, because I didn't have a majority in any of the areas much. Yeah, so totems, once again, work slightly differently. Mm. Totems score not for the area where you place the totem, mm. but for two areas that are joining. interconnected. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when, you, when you score that joining spot at mm. the end of the game, you will look whether the, both the territories that are joining in that space... Have uh, a majority. Have much, you have to have basically more totems than anyone else. Mm. Uh, or as many, because it's friendly ties. And that's the genius bit of the game, mm. the friendly ties. Mm. Because it opens up so many possibilities, right? It's, you know, if three people have like one totem each on one area, yeah. and also other three people have one totem each in another area... They're all kind everyone of... Everyone will score. Everyone will score. <laughs> Everyone's happy and coexisting, right? And so you might not want to fight for it because you have a limited amount of totems. You might want to go fight somewhere else. Yeah. But if you just put one totem on one of those two spaces, yeah. then you're the only person with majority. Mm. Uh, and mm. are you just getting into an unnecessary fight? Maybe you're just happy. You know, it's it's strange how this sort of simple system of just like placing tents and totems blossomed into mm. this field of possibilities of like if i just play something somewhere many many things will happen we should mention that we played it only two player and when you play it two player there is a third like automa mm -hmm. that comes in and the interesting thing about that automa is not it's not that like the game tells you what to do with it. It's you you are making the decisions for it. So when as Efka said, you have three cards. Um, yeah. If you don't play all those cards on your turn, you must then play remaining a remaining card, one of the remaining cards for the other player. So for this third third kind of person. And and instead of being annoying, like 
all the other Atomas. This is just like an excellent way mm. of introducing more tension into a two-player game mm. because you are not you're utilizing something that can hurt you because the Atoma player can yeah. win, right? Yeah. If if you give them too many points, but uh, or you can block yourself with the Atoma yeah. player because sometimes because you have to ha play a turn with them if you have any cards left, yeah. you could end up with a card that you have to play in a territory we, where you don't really want them to have any presence because it's blocking your presence in there. But conversely, uh, you can also use them as a player that gives you more points because there will be more tents in that area. So if you are in that area and also the Automa is in that area, mm -hmm. you will get more points from it. Um, I, I feel like Ibari made me feel clever. At, at all times, whether yeah. I was playing in a, yeah, in, whether I was playing in a two-player <laughs> game, uh, you might ha sense some not excitement from Elaine, and we'll get to that in just a little sure. bit. Uh, but yeah, it made me feel clever because I, I felt like every move there was a field of possibilities, literally, because we're playing on a field uh, of sorts. Of yeah. sorts, yeah. But but also because like you could utilize many different tools right mm. like and one of those tools in a two-player game is the third player mm. Atoma. it was mm. just another way to manipulate the situation into what you want it to be but as all good games i think it it is vast enough that you feel like you can't perfectly suss it out so the oh, game yeah, for sure so the game constantly surprises you you know you're you're left feeling like huh okay, I didn't anticipate that or I mm. didn't see that. I think that's a very nice feeling mm. in a game. And there's that restriction as well that I feel is very healthy where you only have three cards yeah. and uh, the colors on the cards determine what territories you can place things into. Mm -hmm. And so you won't always have what you want. But of course, there's yeah another rule where if you have two cards of the same color, mm. you can... Use it as a wild. Yeah, right? And... And that's clever because, yes, it's a powerful tool. You can suddenly have any color you want, but you're playing three cards a turn, which mm. means you are exhausting the deck faster, mm -hmm. and the deck is the game's clock, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. uh, are you giving yourself enough time to set up all your goals and all your objectives? Who knows? It's a, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing. So we played it two-player a lot. I've also played it three-player uh, on Tabletopia, yep. and I think... Whilst the two-player game is perfectly fine and mm -hmm. enjoyable, I, I think it's definitely suited to be played with three, okay, four, sure. or maybe even five. And here, though, the two-player game, I think it's a big boon because if I look at it as a recommendation to people who are sort of slightly done with Catan, yeah. right? And there are a lot of similarities because most of them, because they're area-majority games where you're trying to like create clumps of territories and yeah. you're sort of trying to get area majorities and Catan is a different game because there's trading and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. whatever but but i i feel like there's enough similarity there that they they overlap we of course forgot to mention that there's the third scoring yet the settlements yes. which is where you're trying to create tents in clumps and the, the bigger they are you know the better but there's that interplay once again where you can block people and mm. you know cut off their paths and mm. making you worry quite a mean game as mm. well at the same time. I imagine at five, it's quite a lot more cutthroat. Oh, yeah. Because there's oh, yeah. only a certain amount of space that you can place your tents and your totems in. Yes. But I know that you didn't get on with Iwari. Like, I loved it. I loved this game. I thought it was great and mm. light and breezy mm. and cutthroat and clever. 
but you didn't. So I wanna, <laughs> I wanna know why. I said to you, I think it is a perfectly cromulent game. Like I think it's a good game. Mm. It's just not for me because I'm not that big on kind of area majorities anyway. Mm-hmm. And for me, this game didn't do anything more than just you're fighting over land. You're playing cards that may or may not be good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you can get in a frustrating situation where you have three cards that are of different colours. So you can't even use a wild mm. and you don't really want to put anything in any of those places. I mean, which is the game, right? You, yeah. there's, you have to think about these things. But for me, it just felt a little bit like walking through treacle. Like, I just felt like, okay, come on, let's just keep going. And I'm doing the same thing over and over again. I'm taking a card, placing a tent, taking a card, placing a tent. And I never felt that the decisions of where I was placing them mattered enough on their own. Like, in the whole scope of the game, like, each mm. each thing that you're placing obviously makes a difference because you want to connect tents to make um, settlements and you want to put the totems in the right place but each individual time I did it I didn't feel like I was changing the game that much because then you would take your well also um not just you would take your turn but the automa would potentially take its turn twice Mm. before I had another turn because I take a turn then I have I have a card left over so the automa goes then you take your turn then you have a card left over, so the Atomic goes. So, so I couldn't feel like I was in enough control of See, each of the thing I was placing. I found that bit to be the exciting yeah, no, bit, no, yeah, you know, no, like know, the unpredictability I of know. it, because I could always see a plan. And and I, what I find strange is, so I I know you pretty well, and I know you don't restrict your. Uh, game likes or dislikes via genre or anything no, like that. You know, you're, sure. you're pretty omnivorous as it comes to yeah. board games. But there's certain mechanisms I don't like. But yeah, game wise, same as me. Yeah, yeah game wise, no. Uh, but wh- so what I found interesting is is that you feel like there's a lack of impact in terms of where you place mm. things. Whereas that's one of the key appeals for me in Iwari <laughs> is that there's frequently places like if you just spot that one good place you know yeah it feels momentous right there's this sort of like oh wow you know that's gonna score me like eight points from 110 that's amazing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. how did i not see that before how did no one see that before? and that's probably just a hang up that i have on on my own like that Mm. i i wasn't it was probably a two-way street like i wasn't invested enough in that game because i wasn't finding it interesting enough to to really hunker down and look for those spots Mm. and do that maths and you know really find the spot that would score me a lot of points um but because i wasn't finding those spaces maybe that's why i didn't find it interesting i don't know like i just Mm. didn't find i just didn't get into it enough to bother doing that and maybe that's just on me yeah no, I because don't. I think it's interesting. I, I totally agree with you with mm. all your points. It just wasn't for me. Well, you mentioned that moment where you play a card and then your turn passes and you don't know if you're going to get the spot that sure. you want. And I I can definitely relate to that and I can I can see that as a criticism, I think. And mm. I think that's one a, an interesting thread to pull on because I, I actually relish that moment as well. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed the uncertainty of, like, I have a plan, right? Mm. But it hinges on other players to 
either mess it up or not. Mm. And I mm. know that my opponents are smart and they are going to see what I'm trying to do, mm. you know. But the question is, because the game is so open, will they get distracted by something else, right? Sure, yeah. Or, or will, will they... Will they see it and, yeah, and hone in on it? Yeah, or will they just block it, right? Yeah. You know? And and I, I actually like that feeling of uncertainty. This, mm. like, um, a sort of almost friendly anxiety, I want to say, of like, I don't know what's going to... I really want yeah, it. Yeah, which, really which, which you I get really in a lot of it. games, particularly yeah. like uh, Euro games where you have a spot that you want to go to and like you don't want someone else to... Right? Yeah, yeah, like a worker yeah. placement thing, sorry. And there's that m- moment where the turn passes and you wait until it comes all yeah, the way back yeah, around yeah. to you and you're just hoping and hoping mm. that no one else goes into the spot you want to go to. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. You don't I sense that you don't feel that, like that holds the game together, right? In this particular yeah. case, no. Mm, mm. No, for me... For me, no. Yeah, I. that's very interesting. So uh, I think we said about Iwari as much as we could have said, because I, I think it's tremendously clever. I think it's incredibly easy to learn. Uh, and I, I think it's gorgeous to look at, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, this, this publishing especially, but we'll get into that a little bit later. And I think it's one of those games that can transcend that sort of like gateway to something a little bit meatier and something a little bit more thinky and... With a lot of depth, but very simple rules, you know? Mm. So I, I always appreciate a game like that. It feels like a Reiner Knitter game to me. It feels yeah, from that, like, sure, school yeah. of design. Uh, and I think it's really well done. Now the problems. Because yes. there's some problems. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. So first of all, uh, the rule book. Uh, it's awful. Uh, and uh, Thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this wasn't much of a sacrifice. I finished it in like 15 minutes, right? right? Because it's not much of r- a rule book. But when a game is that simple and it's been published four times yeah. since 2002. You'd think they'd yeah. get better at it. Right? So it's it's not <laughs> like it's incomprehensible or anything like that because I understood how to play the game and, and it taught me the game, right? Mm. But it omits basic things like shuffle the deck. Right. right before you start playing right. like it just says take free cards take free cards from what yeah right like yeah it, it, it was full of these like little gaps of clarity that i thought well this is just not very well done but okay that's the rule book you can still learn the game from it that's fine that's right? probably how to play videos yeah yeah john gets games did oh one. there you go there you go right there then comes the issue of accessibility mm. and player colors. Mm. Uh, so we did test it out in a colorblindness app. Yes, and the red and green is is nigh untellable, obviously yeah. between each other. Uh, but thankfully, the one nice thing about it is that all the pieces between uh, different players, so like uh, the tents and totems that belong yes. to each player, they are all different shapes. Uh, and you can you can tell them apart by shapes. And even if there are zones on the map that are also red and green, mm-hmm. they also have different symbols on them, mm-hmm. so you can tell exactly what's what. And they have quite clearly defined lines between yes. them. So that's nice, but my question is, why have red and green to begin with? I don't know. Like, why couldn't have the red been something else? I don't know. Like, it should have been any other color, but it's, it's still it's red. It's quite in a there. dark red. Yeah. So I don't know if that's quite helpful. I mean, we looked at it for the app, so I know, it, it, I didn't, know. it didn't seem to be, you know, no, but in any way helpful at all. The app doesn't necessarily reflect. So it's exactly. strange that in 2020, we still have like red-green as, as, as a thing. Yeah. 
Uh, but on top of that, and I, I know a lot of people complain about this, there's like, um, so two of the player colors, orange and yellow, look, oh, yeah. look, look completely, completely inseparable. The, right? the only thing with that is that it doesn't really matter. Unless, mm. unless you had one player playing orange and one player playing yellow, yeah. uh, then it might be a problem. But again, there's, there's different symbols on the totems and on the tents. I don't know. I would, I would never play with... If, if, unless I was in a five-player game and I was forced to, sure. I would never play with uh, yellow, yellow and, and orange. orange. Because no, because they're very uh, similar. Weirdly, I have one of these things that... I don't know why I'm proud of this. I think I have very good color differentiation. Sure. Yeah. Right. I could barely tell them apart. <laughs> if 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 you put them out of like you know not next to each other and said one of them's yellow, one of them's orange, you know, and I'd be like, oh okay, I can tell the difference. If they were just out there on the map without context, I'd be like, those are the two two identical colors because I think it is the same color. It wants just a slightly darker shade. Yeah. And that's well, it. I mean, yeah. orange is darker yellow, isn't it? But it's and not then darker even yellow. And is brown. They're both orange. They're both sort of muddy, browny yeah. orange that's one slightly lighter and one yeah. slightly darker. And that's it. And and so that felt really weird. And again, not an issue unless you but really all the, play all the color choices in it are muted, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so if they did like a bright yellow to differentiate it from the orange... Then I think it would clash with the rest of the colors in the game. Yeah, so there's a couple of extra nice little touches. Like um, there's these sort of feet uh, markers, and by feet I mean F E A T. Right. Um, Thank you for the clarification. I think it's important. It is. Uh, and feet <laughs> markers, uh, you get them for achieving various things through the course of the game. Like mm. first person to do this, and then you get this giant token, uh, and <laughs> and then you get to slap that giant token on the map and say this area now scores double. And so that changes the game for everyone because it scores double for everyone. And, and that's a nice little addition. We never played with that, but I never felt the need for that. Sure. I didn't feel like we knew the game well enough for that to be like a, like a kind of, ooh, you know, right? Mm. But mm. I think it's nice that it's there because it's clearly thinking about like, how do we zhuzh this up, you know? Mm. Uh, and there's also two versions of Iwari. You can buy Iwari or you can get, if you backed it on Kickstarter, you got Iwari Deluxe Edition. I have no idea if the Deluxe Edition is going to be available for sale, but the deluxe edition comes with a lot of extra gubbins, like maps and uh, extra oh, wow. extra rules, extra player pieces, metal coins and stuff like that. Maps obviously being the big attraction because much like Concordia, like you know, in any kind of area majority yeah. game, you you want you want to change it up. Yeah, right? you want to change it up. You want variety. And we've played on different maps. I played on yeah. three different maps. And each time it felt like a slightly different puzzle because uh, Selman scoring makes you think about connections differently and area sizes makes mm. you think about connections differently. And all those things sort of add up to make the puzzle feel slightly different. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a good point, actually. Like when you place a ten, there's that weighing up between how many connections does this particular location have? Yeah. So how many roads go off it? So how many potential ways could I move away from this area mm. and how many tents can I put in this region right so how can I score how much can I score for this region yeah. without going out of it like there is that that decision I I will note that I think it's slightly unfortunate the mm. uh, same really criticism as we made for our project elite video where like the core box has two maps and the deluxe version has something like eight right that's and annoying. That if it, it felt like why wasn't it four four? Yeah. You know, uh, like yeah. because what's what's the reason for me like buying the game in retail now? I feel like I'm being you know slightly yeah. duped. Yeah. Uh, 
so I, I wish I wish that Kickstarter publishers would sort of get that balance more right. You know, I know you want to put, you know, a lot of goodies, but goodies should be goodies. Mm, it shouldn't feel like... The entire game. Yeah, like, oh, we've stripped away most of the game for people. And maybe it'll come out as an expansion or something like that. I hope, I hope it does. And one final criticism is the unfortunate use of totem pieces, which I didn't quite realize when I was playing. But as someone kindly pointed out on Twitter to me, yeah. it is in fact a form of cultural appropriation to indigenous cultures because uh, a totem is a religious piece of symbology right Uh, and using that in a game with nondescript cultures Mm. and like there's there's it's not really depicting anyone or anything any kind of culture and so it doesn't really have to be a totemic piece it can be literally flagpole yeah any anything that stacks on top of each other because the whole point is that you can stack those totems together to Mm. make one big piece so it looks nice it looks really pretty Mm. iwari is a gorgeous game like seriously google some pictures of iwari (laughs) It, it looks Look tremendous. on our Instagram. Yeah, it, it looks absolutely tremendous. But there's no reason those pieces have to be, be totems, totems no. right? And so there is that slight unfortunate bit of cultural appropriation as well. Um, if if you've never played Web of Power, Han, or China, mm. and you've never heard of Iwari, and you like light games with simple rules, if you like Reiner Knizia games, mm. I think you'll find a lot here that you will really, really enjoy. For me, Wari is a strong recommendation. For me, less so. But it's a good game. It's just not a game for me. And that, as they say, is the end of that chapter. I hope that your ears feel suitably soothed with the balm that was the No Pun Included podcast. And if you did enjoy it, or if you didn't enjoy it, please do go ahead and leave us a comment on our website, nopunincluded.com forward slash podcast where you can check out also all our other episodes and also see our videos there are our videos on our website too if you've missed any of them if you've never seen one of our videos you should treat yourself (laughs) and watch one of them because they are a treat and with that why don't you say goodbye elaine goodbye elaine goodbye elaine